Ay. episode 63, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm April, and here with me today is our Seeing Red colleague, Emily. Welcome, Emily. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I haven't seen you in a while. How have you been? Pretty good. Up to all things fall at our house. Yeah. (laughs) Coffee and soup and fuzzy sacks. Nice. We were going to go see like the fall foliage down at Indian Cave State Park, but my husband got his booster shot and then he was like super sleepy and achy. And I was like, never mind, we'll try another weekend. <laughs> so we did go to the zoo though. And my son wore his Spider Man costume and all of the little children were amazed <laughs> because it was not Halloween. And here was Spider Man. <laughs> you know, I had one who wore a ninja costume every day a fleece ninja costume every day for an entire summer and he looked deathly hot and he did not care no he, he wore it everywhere we went and and it was fine because yeah. you know what i if i could wear a costume right and not have people, i thought about you know it. report me to authorities i might <laughs> he really enjoyed it seriously like little kids were like spider-man like one and two-year-olds you know and yeah. he'd go, hi, I'm Spider-Man. Because <laughs> he had the mask and everything. Oh, that's great. Anyway. Well, um, we asked Emily to come on today because she has done a lot for Seeing Red, learning about SROs. Um, if you're not sure what that stands for, that's school resource officers. So police in schools. And um, knows a little bit about a fairly new law that went into effect um, thanks to Patty Pansing Brooks. And she's going to tell us about Nebraska and then just the problems inherent in SRO programs. So Emily, tell us about the Nebraska law that's new. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on. I have, uh, I've been involved with thinking about police in schools for about five or six years now since uh, Lincoln Public Schools wanted to bring back school resource officers for their middle schools and add half-time school resource officers in the middle schools across the city. Um, And mostly, you know, in general, just think, I I didn't understand what the purpose of having police officers in school was, having guns in schools where my kids were at, and really wanted to learn about what the issues involved were and why we were doing that. At the time, um, was really involved with a group called Peace and Justice in Lincoln Public Schools, which was a partnership between uh, Nebraskans Against Gun Violence, the ACLU, uh, NAACP of Lincoln, and several other groups. Um, And we worked really hard at that time to put the kibosh on that. But unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, the it seemed that deal was already done and the police were coming. Um, and so at what we, what we unfortunately had settled for at that time was a 
memorandum of understanding. And essentially what that is, is it's a, it's a paper that is filed and on record signed between all parties involved. So in this case, it's the school and uh, the, the group funding it and the police officers and uh, they, they sign it a thing that says basically their officers are going to have a certain amount of training on the teenage brain. There's a certain amount of training on threat assessment. Um, and that there's I believe it a- talks about their role too, to kind of clarify. Yep. It's, so it, it's it, supposed it to clarifies it. Yep. So it talks about all of that and then it clarifies um, what they're supposed to be doing within the school. And part of that is the school needs to create a policy. The police need to create a policy and that needs to be filed as a part of the memorandum of understanding that says, you know, for example, if a student is talking with a police officer, a parent has to be notified. If, um, you know, which things are supposed to be happened by, are supposed to be handled by classroom teachers, which are supposed to be handled by administration and which are actually law enforcement, um, law enforcement concerns. So what happens if a student takes the teacher's notebook. Is that theft? Is that something that a police needs to be involved in? Is that something that the teacher should handle on their own? Is that something that the administration should be involved in? Um, What happens if uh, somebody punches somebody in the hallway? Who's supposed to be involved to handle that? And how how does that process work? What happens if there's a car accident in the high school parking lot? Who's involved in that? What happens? And so... Um, some pretty clear guidelines that the school has put in place and that the, you know, that the police department has put in place. There's also a a complaint process. There's a few other things. So we worked really hard on, on that document along with ACLU and, and some other groups and came up with what we thought was a pretty decent, I mean, as far as it goes, as a pretty decent memorandum of understanding. Um, What happened as a result of that is that it became a gold standard for how SROs are going to interact within the public schools, at least for the state of Nebraska. And Patty Panzing Brooks took a look at that memorandum of understanding and she brought a bill in the state legislature actually that modeled after the, the LPS MOU and said, Hey, we think that they need, there needs to be statewide standards for police officers in schools. And so the bill was passed in 2019 session and as of January 1st of 2021, this year, all districts that have a school resource officer employed need to have a memorandum of understanding that meets these things as a minimum criteria. And then there's a list of what the minimum criteria are. Um, that was LB390. So that's easy if you want to look it up and you can see what the, the criteria is. Um, the requirement is that they need to be posted either on the school district's website or filed with the Nebraska Department of Education. So they should be public. And in your district, if you have police officers in your district, I'd encourage you to call you know, your school district and get a copy of that. And ensure then that your school district's in compliance because as of January 1st of this year, they were not to have police officers in the schools had they, did they not have this on file. Now, we're gonna interrupt listeners because we know that COVID hit. And so that threw a lot of off, a lot of things off. But if it went into effect January 2021, doesn't that mean it was passed during 2020, which was COVID or was it the year before that? Um, no, they had a, so they had a full year. So the, the bill was so passed a full year. in April so 18th not only of 2019. Though, 
And so they had yeah. the full school year of 1920 to figure this out. Yeah. And uh, let's say we give them the benefit of the doubt. And okay, so you didn't have to do anything during 2020. Well, it's been 2021 for 10 months now, and you should have it figured out. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I believe, Emily, did you see you were looking in and you were looking at other districts and not finding any of these? Yes. Yeah, so I have not called the State Department of Education yet to, to mm-hmm. look uh, to see if they're on file there. But I have looked on several of the larger district websites and it is not clearly marked. Now, Lincoln's is very public. It's very available. Mm-hmm. You can pull that up at any time. Um, and, and Lincoln's been real transparent about their data, too. So part of this is a data reporting requirement that says mm-hmm. um, they have to maintain records of prosecution and what the reason is for referral and then all federally identified demographic information. Because the, and the reason for that is the real problem with police and schools. Right. Which isn't do we have a piece of paper that says, right, are we following a policy? But in fact, what is what is happening in practice when we are policing students for juvenile behavior, for teenage behavior. Um, and, and what we know happens is that students with disabilities and students of color are over-policed and they're over-policed in schools. And this is a huge part of the school to prison pipeline in terms of thinking about how do we, how do we desensitize young people to the fact that that police can just talk to them and be their friends. And the truth is, is that in school, if you tell a police officer something because you think they're your friend, they can can and will use that against you in any legal yeah. proceedings. That's their that's job. That's their job first and foremost. That. I mean, that's right. their job is to be a law enforcement officer. So if you say, hey, you know, my buddy has, you know, my, uh, oh, we're going out this weekend. My buddies went to this party. We were at so-and-so's parents. Their parents weren't home. Somebody had mm-hmm. weed. All of those things that you think you're maybe just, you know, buddy, buddy with your police officer friend um, is actually, they're keeping track, right? They're keeping track. They know who these Mm. folks are. They are very involved with the students' lives. So they know who they are. They know who their parents are. Um, It puts kids in a, it puts kids in a hard situation because we know that the adolescent brain isn't fully developed until mid twenties. And so now you are telling someone, hey, this guy is your mentor. This gal is your friend. And all of a sudden, they may not be on your side because they're on the side of the law. And that's different, markedly different from other adults in a school building. So if you have a social worker in a school building, if you have a school counselor in a school building, if you have your principals or your teachers in a school building, your paraprofessionals, anyone who works in a school building for the most part, is going to be on kids' side, right? They want to do what's best for kids. And yes, if there's something, you know, you're a mandatory reporter, if there's some, if there's something that's putting kids in danger, you have to say something if something is putting kids in danger. But is there a way to handle that without making the situation bigger, worse, more dangerous than it needs to be? Right. Like if a kid tells me, well, one of these other students were kind of pressuring me to try pot that doesn't have to be filed away in my brain or used in some way in a legal proceeding you know I don't have to there's you know I don't even have to figure out who that kid was that's not a thing but I could say like I can talk to him about the bigger issues behind peer pressure and behind drug use that comes from an education perspective 
so that I can help them make better choices. Right, and if you hear consistently about the same kiddo, Mm -hmm. you're in team meetings with other professionals who care about Mm -hmm. what's best for kids, who can think about what's the right thing to do for that student because maybe you know what their home life looks like. Right. And so you're saying, well, that's maybe not the best tactic to take is to immediately call home because maybe that's not a safe situation to immediately call home. So maybe you're going to involve a social worker or maybe you're going to make different choices about how it's affecting and impacting their, their school life. That's not the job of police officers. So I was actually looking this up and um, just this summer again, the ACLU of Nebraska um, was calling again for an end to school police programs in the state um, in conjunction with NAACP. And they, like you're saying, are saying you should invest that money instead in counseling and mental health services uh, because it does disproportionately impact students of color and those with disabilities. Um, And according to them, 43 of Nebraska school districts have sworn law enforcement officers. And so, as Emily is saying, if you're a listener, there's, we know you're all over the state, 43 different cities in Nebraska should have people calling and saying, where's your MOU? What's your policies? And then scrutinizing those policies to see if they stand up to what is best for kids and families. Yeah. And some things you could check into, even if they have maybe a best practice memorandum of understanding on file, what we know is that policy and practice are very, very different. And so some things you can do in your district too, is you can go to the Office of Civil Rights, ocrdata.ed.gov. That is the Office of Civil Rights where you can file complaints or view the complaints that have been filed and the, the comparative data that say, hey, how many how many black students were suspended? How many white students were suspended? How many kids with disabilities were suspended versus how many you know kids without disabilities were suspended? All of those things are available. Now, it, it tends to be fairly old. Um, that data is only updated every couple of years. And what the schools will tell you is that they're looking at it every day. And, and I believe most, most good people within school districts are looking at that because they want to create an equitable place for kids to learn. Um, But it gives you a, it gives you a place to look to say, okay, you have all the right policies in place. And yet for some reason, you know, black males at your school are suspended at three times what we would expect the rate of suspension to be. Tell me why that's happening. Tell me why the police are interacting with them more often. So that's one thing you can check. Um, Another thing you can check is uh, that I just learned about this because on this really cool It was a really cool webinar about police-free schools, and it was people from all over the country kind of talking about what's going on in their area, and in a weird way, I was like, am I fortunate that I live in Nebraska because we have, you know, quote-unquote good police in schools, or is it in some ways worse because it's a lot harder to abolish police in schools when they're arguing that they're doing the right thing, but... Another thing they said is that we should, uh, and you should look into the digital use policy, digital device policy that exists within your school, because now we have put all of our kiddos on computers. Everyone has a Chromebook. Everybody has the ability to do a variety of things. And in some districts, the police by matter of random, you know, just by, by normal course, have as much access as the school to things like who are they contacting on their digital device, getting into their cameras, 
I mean, we all know that, for example, if, if kids got a Chromebook at home, the school can access what they're up to on their computer at any given time because it's not their device. It's the school's device. So grownups know that. And I think kids are taught that, but I'm not sure that they can process exactly what that means clear to the end. No, they absolutely cannot. I deal with this every day and they don't even understand that I can look at their Google Drive and I'm not anybody, (laughs) but I can see everything in their Google Drive and this surprises them. So being taught and remembering and understanding are very different things. (laughs) Sometimes those things don't stick until it gets applied. Yep. Yeah. And so maybe their (laughs) chat document with their buddies, they think it's like passing notes at school. That's what they think it is in their brain. So, you know, you think about, I don't know, my mom always used to tell me, if you don't want everyone to know, don't write it down. Right. But okay, I wrote it down. I dropped the note on the floor in the hallway. Somebody picks it up. And now, you know, they can show five people. A teacher sees it. I get in trouble. But when you put it on your Google Drive, even if you delete it, it doesn't go away. Right. But that is something that access to it. We know teens don't have that figured out yet. They just nope, don't, they, even though they, they have been digital natives, that's part of the problem because they don't remember anything before. So they don't understand. I mean, they barely understand privacy, let alone there's no such thing as privacy online. <laughs> right. So I think it's really important to say, do the police have access? Do the police yeah. in the schools have access to everything your kiddo's up to on their computer? Because that could create a problem, you know, in the future. Who's paying for the police? in your district. I think that's really important to know, especially as schools go into budgeting. Um, Do they have a federal grant? Because as part of the 1994 crime bill, uh, as terrible as that bill was, so so much money from that bill went to set up police forces within schools. And so there's federal money available. There is currently CARES Act money going to schools like crazy right now. And so look into where your CARES Act money is going you know is cares act money going to support hardening of schools and school security or is it going to softening of schools and teaching kids about how to process what's going on in their brain and how to process the trauma that's happening i believe the school funding isn't called cares act i believe it's called esser well which is an abbreviation but there's been like three disbursements of esser funds like educational secondary something 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 you're probably right <laughs> but, you're probably um, right but whatever the school money and there is, are a lot of restrictions money. there are a lot of restrictions on how they use that money but i mean i wouldn't there say districts that schools in the country haven't tried it for cops <laughs> let's put it that way yeah um interestingly uh, another thing i learned that kids have access or that the the police might have access to as a part of your kid is now in Nebraska, they're supposed to notify you if they're questioning your kid. Um, But we now have to do know your rights training for 11 year olds who are sixth graders who are in school with police officers because you can't talk to them without an attorney present. You should not be talking to police about anything they're questioning you about without an attorney present. You know, and, and many adults don't do a very good job at not no, running their really mouth hard. to police. It's really hard. They're people of authority. They're in a position. They're 
they're asking you questions. You don't, especially if you don't think you did anything wrong, you don't really know what you should say and what you shouldn't say. I mean, the hint is you should say nothing. Um, But for kiddos, that's very nerve wracking and that can be very stressful and they don't know what they're to say and not say. And now you've got the power dynamic of adults versus kids in school. They've most likely been taught to tell your teachers what's up to figure out, you know, to respect the authority that's in the school. Now you have police officers who are hanging out with you, being your friends. Um, And so we need to know that your kids know what their rights are in school and they don't have to talk to police just because they're in the school. And they, and they shouldn't, um, even if they don't think they've done anything wrong. I don't think they're going to get that information unless it comes from a parent. I, I, I think don't. you're probably right on that. And yeah, I just don't. How come we can't just fix these policies? How come an MOU, you know, oh, we all understand this is how it's supposed to be. How come it in real practice isn't enough? What kind of things happen? What well, do I mean, humans I think we've- do, Emily? <laughs> Humans, man, humans are the just worst. irrational beings, right? But, but I think that's a great point. So why can't we just keep making better and better policies? Well, the problem is, is that it's not a couple of bad actors within a system that just needs more rules and more guardrails. We have all the guardrails. But the problem is, is that people don't behave within the guardrails. And we can't just weed out one or two bad actors because this is a system of harm that has been perpetuated on, disproportionately perpetuated on black and brown bodies within the school system for as many years as there have been police in the schools. And interestingly, well, one of the I'm gonna things- say the origins of police. The origins of police. The origins of police were to perpetuate harm on people of color from their, you know, from the beginning. Yes. I mean, the first SROs were in Michigan, actually. They were there not for safety. There was no talk about safety. There was talk about being there to protect people during integration. There were no cops in schools until they put black bodies in schools with white bodies. Wow. And that's, Almost I mean, like, that's why they're there. <laughs> yeah. Dang. So, I mean, we have a, just an example from this year, a really tragic example this year, actually, in Long Beach, California. Um, a young girl, she's 18, Mona Rodriguez. She was shot by the school resource officer outside of the school building. So this is a case where policy and practice are very different. The policy of the school resource officers in Los Angeles in Long Beach is that they are not to police outside of the school district. They are employees of the school outside the building, um, outside of, or outside of the or whatever. grounds, right outside mm-hmm. the school grounds. This was a block away from the school grounds, got into a high speed chase that the car ran. The girl tried to flee. She was in a fist fight. Uh, the girl tried to flee and the officer shot at her car. She was leaving and the officer shot at her car. Now, According to the the actual policy that's written, I mean, she died, just so we know, she has been killed by police. They, the district's use of force policy says officers can only fire their guns in self-defense or to prevent the death or great injury of somebody else. She's leaving in a car. So nobody is at risk. Yeah. Um, It forbids them from firing at someone who's fleeing. Wow. Well, she was fleeing. Um, It forbids them to fire toward a moving vehicle. The vehicle was moving or through a vehicle window. That's where she was shot. So 
all so, like they had all of the best policies and yet all the best policies the absolute worst thing happened and the worst thing happened um and of course which is a dead this, child let me just be really clear that's yeah the there's a thing. dead child yeah at the hands of a officer. at the hands of a school resource officer yeah and and the school resource officer violated every single one of the policies yeah. And so far, even though, I mean, he had to have been trained and he had to have known, he had to have signed an agreement of some sort, you know, all of the mumbo jumbo that the hoops they make you go through. Right. All the things. And, and we just see time and time again, black and brown bodies are over policed. Mm-hmm. And then we couple that with some things that we also know happen. So we know um, students with disabilities are at great risk of having a police officer in the building. Um, and they're at great risk because officers attempt to restrain, perhaps, mm-hmm. in, in an incident. And then what happens is a scuffle. And mm-hmm. anyone who works with kids with disabilities knows that often restraining them is, gives you the opposite of the reaction that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Right? There are safe ways to handle students with disabilities who are having a moment. And they have a moment and it's related to their disability. The behaviors are related to their disability and kids deserve to learn in a place where they can learn how to manage emotions, right? They're still learning how to manage emotions. So that doesn't need to be policed, but what happens is, okay, now they've maybe engaged in a scuffle because they're being restrained. They don't want to be restrained and they throw the police officer off. Well, now, now they've broken the law right? Because this is a police officer. Mm -hmm. What was the, there was a case in Lincoln um, not that long ago in the high school where the girl, there were two girls involved in a fight and then the SRO tried to step in and then she got charged for disturbing the officer's peace. Yeah, disturbing the like peace. The fight and the had nothing to do with officer. him. The fight had nothing to do with him. He inserted himself as assumingly part of his job, and then she gets charged, and now she's a part of the criminal justice system. Yeah, with, with this ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying. I mean, that's just one in Lincoln that I only know of, and I don't know how many there are, but it, it's that kind of stuff that couldn't happen if it was a teacher involved or a counselor involved or an administrator involved, right? Yes. I mean, none of that would happen, right? Like it's not, it's not a thing. And so that's why, you know, you can make it, you can make it better, but what, why do we want to make harm better? I mean, instead we, this is a full abolition. I mean, we don't need police officers in schools. There's not a purpose for having them there. Oh, talk about what you were telling me about, how um, we should be requesting reports of how they're spending their time. Oh, yes, that's another one. So that should be of public record, how the police officers are spending their time in the school building. So the question is, why are they there? Well, are they there to prevent crime? Well, we know that, in fact, they don't prevent crime within the school building. In fact, some of the studies they've done have shown that um, in the case of a school shooting, schools with school resource officers had triple the body count of schools without school resource officers. So body count? Body what count. Do what do you mean? Dead children. Ah. Injured children. Ah. 
So not all dead, but like from fights and stuff, you mean? No, like in a school shooting. If there's a school shooting, school shootings are three times as deadly if there's a police officer there. Yikes. Well, I always knew that they've never prevented a school shooting. They do not prevent school shootings. But I didn't know that statistically they're hard. Wow. Sometimes they whoopsie leave their guns in the bathrooms, though. Well, it's almost like you think these SROs are humans who are capable of making mistakes that could harm children. (laughs) well and here's the here's the other thing is that i think you know it's really important to understand that people use school shootings as a reason Mm -hmm. why we need police in schools right this is going to keep kids safe but school shootings more often than not happen in predominantly white school districts in predominantly affluent areas However, police are put in predominantly black school districts and that it, and so that changes the that completely changes the narrative, right? Yes, there are cops in, in you know in white school districts, but that's where school shootings happen, but that isn't that isn't where what the, the that be. isn't what the cops are there to do because that's not where they're putting the cops first. And so then, as you said, what are they there for? Yeah, the question is, what and are they, how are they for? spending so their time? How are they spending their time? Yeah. And you should be able to request that. And, and you should know what school police officers cost because they're not mm-hmm. free. And so every time your school goes into a budgeting process, which I think I said earlier, like if you're in a budgeting process and they are cutting uh, the gifted programs out of your schools or they are saying they don't have money for the proper newest textbooks or they don't have money for hand sanitizer or you know they're not providing transportation transportation or pencils or whatever it is that the kids can't have access to they can't they can't provide pencils but they can provide police officers Um, they can't afford afford a counselor which many many schools in nebraska do not have a full-time counselor right yeah and there's actually a whole movement uh, that, that the uh, ACLU is doing dignity in schools and it's called cops and cops and no counselors. And they've actually put out, there are 14 million school students in school in this country with a, a police officer and no counselor. And that's nationwide, but nationwide, like Nebraska is not this, not the same, but like I said, I will tell you that there are so many small, smaller schools and they're so spread out rurally, particularly they don't, they can't provide enough counselors because it would cost them so much. But again, you know, we've said before, your budget is your priorities. So if you're going to budget a cop and not a counselor, both being expensive, where are your priorities? Budgets are your school district's priority. Yeah. Budgets well, really are a moral document. Um, so I think, you know, the other thing that, that I think happens is as you edge, maybe as you edge police out, maybe you're having some success, maybe you're seeing that, that police are, are not there, then there's an increase in surveillance culture. And that's all still part of policing. 
bodies. And so when we think about surveillance culture, are there video mm-hmm. cameras in your school that are have direct uploads to the police department? Um, are there other types of surveillance culture activities that are happening within the schools that we need to think about? Because again, they're children mm-hmm. and they're going to make dumb kid choices, honestly. And do they, are they legal choices? Do they always have to be, have a legal ramification? Um, here's another thing I'll say too, is that the people, you know, there are three groups, there are three, really three key constituents that are affected and impacted by police in schools. Um, and probably if you want to abolish the police in your schools, at least two of them have to be activated, um, in order to make this happen. And in places where they have had success in ending contracts with police officers and removing police from schools and replacing those because really we want to divest and invest. So it's not that we're saying we don't, you know, it's not just abolition, it's abolition plus. So we're not taking the money away. We're not saying we don't want to do it, but what do we want to invest in? What's the kind of future and the kind of schooling we want. And as a part of that kind of divest invest, there's really three constituents. One is the teachers. I'm in places where they've been successful. Teachers unions have said, we don't actually need the police. We need counselors. We need something else that's better for kids. I think they're a hard group to overcome in some cases because, Mm -hmm. frankly, teachers, a lot is being placed on teachers. I mean, you know, April, but they're overwhelmed. They have a lot going on. They have a lot of kids with a lot of needs in classrooms. And and they don't too. Yeah, they don't always have the support inside the school. I think another thing within schools and in the community, um, but I think your example of Long Beach speaks to, is that so many people know a school resource officer or knew one and they're such great people and they probably are. I really hope that they're hiring really great people. And I, and, but that doesn't mean that that, as a society, we should put them in this role in our schools with our children, right? That whole, oh, but he was such a great guy or she was such a great gal mentality. It's just not enough of an argument. There are lots of great gals and guys out there who could do lots of things in our schools. Well, right. I mean, again, I don't think, I mean, I really don't think that we are paying any other profession to be mentors and hang out with kids all day. We pay a lot of money for a school resource officer. They have a lot of training. That's fine. But again, all the training in the world doesn't, doesn't necessarily fix a system that is created. I mean, on its surface, like you said, the police were created to police black and brown bodies to put them under surveillance. So I interrupted you. You were talking about needing some support from teachers and sometimes unions. Yeah, so it's teachers, um, uh, we need the support of parents. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple ways parents can be supportive. One is, um, especially if, it, okay, so one way the parents can really think about how can we be supportive of this is asking the question. Just keep asking the questions. Like, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? Is that the right use of our funds? Is that the right use of our our money and then also what do they have access to 
what is the surveillance culture that's happening in the school and how could that, you know, how could that really be used to do that? And then the third leg of the stool is really students. And that's what's been interesting is to see the student-led movements that have come to abolish police in their schools because they are speaking about the kind of school they want to have. And they really have a positive vision for the kind of learning they want to be able to do and what it means to grow up without being policed. And I think that is, you know, listen to those kids because they are, you know, they know what they want. They know what they need and, and they're asking for it and they're saying what they need. Um, In Nebraska, I just looked this up because I thought this was interesting where you said, um, where I said, you know, that cops, not counselors pro or cops and no counselors program Mm -hmm. in Nebraska, we have 141 employed law enforcement within the school and 205 security guards across Nebraska. Wow. Okay. We have 460 school nurses. Wow. How only recent is that data? Um, th- this is just, this is the ACLU's data from, I think it's this year, actually. I think this is okay. the 2020 report. Um, wow. I'm only curious so, as, you know, you would hope for nurses in a pandemic, but that would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, 346 of some kind of law enforcement or, you know, security enforcement and 460 nurses. Oh. Psychologists, 267 licensed psychologists in yeah. the schools, 346 security personnel. Yeah. And again, these specialty jobs are hard to recruit around the state. And even big districts like Lincoln and Omaha, where they can guarantee full work and you get to live wherever you want to live and all that. Um, these people are often spread between multiple buildings just because there's not enough of them to meet the need. Yeah. So you think about like how many, I mean, that is a, like that is really strange to think, okay, again, budgets are moral documents and we care almost equally about the health of black and brown bodies as we do about the policing of black and brown bodies. When you think about 346 security personnel, 460 nurses. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is a great document, but this is um, ACLU's Cops and No Counselors Report, and you can pull it up for every state. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, do. And then um, other things in the show notes, youthmandate.org, that is a youth-led organization for police abolition. Uh, policefreeschools.org is another great organization to look into. And these work nationwide. Um, And then just, you know, here locally, I chair the Committee for Nebraskans Against Gun Violence for the SRO program. And really, you know, we work towards abolition, but at the same time, we are harping pretty hard on reporting and trying to get all of that data reported and just put it in a place where people can have access to it because, Parents, students, and teachers have to work together to make school the kind of place where kids can learn in a safe way. And they should be able to equitably learn in a safe way, whether they are black, whether they are brown, whether they have autism, whether they 
you know, they have sensory processing disorder, uh, ADHD, whatever. LGBTQ, that is another group that is highly impact, impacted Absolutely. by having police in the school. So, I mean, they're just not, they're not the answer. They're not a panacea and they're not solving the problem, but they are sure taking a lot of the resources. That is a really good summary. And I think we should end on that note. Emily, I love your brain. I'm glad you could come on. I'm glad you had me. I haven't been on in a long time. I think the last time I had us talk about Pete Ricketts, which was like, you know, ruining my day. But today I got to talk about something I care about. I care a lot about police and schools. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, we'll see you next time, listeners. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, 10 or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.